Welcome everybody to New Polities Podcast. I'm Jacob Imam and I'm proudly joined today by Mike Sullivan. Mike is uh, kind of our, our town hero in many ways. <laughs> Most revered and respected, not only because we can always count on his prayers and not only because we're super impressed with his procreative ability along with his <laughs> wife having made 11 children, uh, but also because he can build the things that we cannot and he can fix the things that we break while we are wallowing in this vast technologically opaque ocean he actually understands how to build a paddle and make one get around in these little island things how's well, that for a metaphor i tried so really hard if yeah. that makes me a hero then we have a problem in our society and i think that's what we're here to talk about yeah absolutely <laughs> we are here actually in part to announce a really exciting new thing that new polity is doing so as uh, you all have figured out new polity is a think tank to uh, dig into the social doctrine of our church and to be able to teach that. But also we don't want to just be all talk and no game. We want to start putting this into action in our own lives and in our city of Steubenville. And so we're happily announcing today the opening of the Steubenville workshop. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> it is going to be awesome. Uh, we, well, if, what is the Steubenville workshop? I mean, how do you, you want to describe it? So I'll describe it. I think I'm the first subscriber. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. You are. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a uh, kind of like a fitness club where you can go and use the equipment. Um, but rather than for fitness, this is for creativity. It's a creative space. It's a productive property that you can subscribe to be able to use, come in whenever you need to um, have classes, learn about, you know, using tools, you learn about different projects with the tools, um, create things yep. and sell things. Yeah. We're going to help you sell whatever you make. So. That's going to be really neat. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. So this is, this is kind of our first attempt to help get more productive property in the hands of our neighbors, um, yep. and helping them figure out how to use it and how to sell it. There's quite a bit in here. This, it is a subscription rate. And so that might sound kind of like rent and it, and it kind of is in, in a certain respect, um, except for the fact that when you realize that um, you would have to be a member for 50 years before you'd actually exactly. pay off all these tools if you were to exactly. buy them yourself. Yep. And that doesn't include utilities or uh, housing the space. So we're, this is really trying to be a, a you know a collective effort on, on our part. So and it's going to be, it's going to be a phenomenal service. I think it's going to raise the bar in terms of just craftsmanship in our area, because people have the ability to go and use the tools and learn how to, how to do things. And, but also be inspired by other people who are a little further along in their development and their craftsmanship. And, mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, for me, I started out a long time ago, maybe I don't know, uh, when I was 17 or 18, just really interested in building things and doing things. And uh, I would pick up tools at yard sales in Denver, you know, just as a kid and bring them home and, you know, um, annoy my father by filling up the garage with all my tools. <laughs> and, it was uh, one of those tools. Do you so I got, a lathe. I got a lathe, uh, which was just uh, a piece of junk. It was <laughs> two, two uh, ends of the lathe and you had to use some pipes to connect them. And I got a motor and some pulleys and made the thing work. And I spent hours just, you know, with the, ch with the wrong kind of chisels, just making things on the lathe, learning how to, you know, make little round boxes and learning how to make uh, candlesticks, um, 
and bowls. So for those like who, who don't know, a lathe holds a piece of wood yeah. on there and spins it around really quickly. Right. So you, you're at it with a chisel. You can yeah. kind of shape it to how. So it has a, a tool rest, and you can, and you can work the chisel back and forth and make something that's out of round, perfectly round, and then and then you can also mount things on the on the main chuck, and you can gouge out the center of a bowl and make goblets, and it was just really fun as a teenager to spend time just being creative on that, and um, and I did a lot of work on automobiles and stuff like that, rebuilding engines and getting old Volvos working, (laughs) but uh, so for me, it was, it's, it's always been a struggle to get my hands on tools. Hmm. So, you know, it's, I never had a great table saw until a few years ago, you know, and I'm 50 next year. So (laughs) it's, uh, you know, um, it's one of those things that I've always built things and done things, but I've always just gotten by with decent tools Hmm. that I, or yard sale tools or whatever. Now I also have the construction business. So that's been, you know, it's it's easier for me to have access to tools because I need them for work. But um, in my personal life, just being a guy who likes to do creative things, it was always difficult to justify going out and buying a really expensive tool. And uh, so this gives an opportunity to people to just have that stuff accessible and be able to be creative, have some lessons on how to use it, uh, lessons on what to make. Uh, it's it's just I'm really excited about it. Yeah, good. I'm really glad you are. So we'll um, we're gonna try and time up um, one of the fun classes the day before the next New Polity Conference. So if anybody wants to come out a day early and learn how to make a kneeler or something like that, we haven't decided what it's gonna be. Yeah, but we'll come up with something good and manageable yeah. for you to get back to your house. A trebuchet. So, yeah, there you go. That's what <laughs> we'll do. Make a full size trebuchet <laughs> for the political revolution That's that we're right. planning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I wanted, we wanted to sit down and kind of talk, you know, a little bit, explain what we're doing with the shop and, and, and describe a little bit of what, um, you know, the reasons why we're doing it and kind of in, in a vague way, but also more specifically in a theological way on kind of a theology of work yeah. also. And, um, this is something that is fundamental to our humanity. John Paul II says it's fundamental to any conversations we're going to have about the economy or about politics. Um, and it's also something of a, I think, a properly uh, devotional uh, uh, point of contemplation for us mm-hmm. as well. And so we were just going to kind of sit back and give kind of a meta narrative of, of why we um, decided to start with tools first instead of uh anything else and um hopefully as we're trying to talk through john paul ii's theology of work and the rest of the traditions that um giving some broad broader outlines and also um in a sense you know just starting a conversation which we hope to pick up later on in its own series um that uh we can do that kind of under the context of this you know new project for saint joseph and and for our friends at, in steubenville um so, so that's what I think where we're going to start, yeah. you know, I, yeah. um, there's a lot of perhaps obvious reflections that we can have about, um, work. I mean, I like the story that you told me about your sons and welding. Oh, yeah. There's just kind of like a natural propensity that we all have towards learning things, building things, we being have, creative. Yeah. yeah. We have a creativity that's just built within us, you know, from the, we're built in the image and likeness of God. And I'm going to, you'll get into that in more depth, but just the idea that this example of my sons with the welder, just uh, having a tool 
at your disposal. So you just brought home a, a welder one day. This, I, I did. Yeah, this I just so. I don't know how to weld. I mean, I could I could probably do a farmer's weld on a tractor if I had to, <laughs> but um, I I just got a welder because the boys were really interested in the weld in welding, and uh, and so I just got a welder and I put it in the garage and I bought them some, you know, some of the wire for the welder and other things, some angle iron and and uh, we had some old mini bikes and go karts kicking around, and I just let them at it and. They were, they're curious, they're, um, they're kind of, they're very creative and, uh, and they love doing really redneck things. <laughs> so <laughs> they, uh, they, they do. It's, it's really Your fun. Your kids are more rednecker than mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, it was such a blast to watch them because they would take, uh, a broken mini bike and figure out how to weld it to the rear end of a go-kart and make it into like a three-wheeler and then <laughs> and then they turned it back into a like a four-wheeled machine but not really a go-kart and <laughs> you know with a steering wheel and just it was really fun to see them just have at it well now uh they are both really good at welding and uh, my younger son works on a farm in new mexico and he does a lot of welding for the farm making fence corners and gates and stuff like that and and my other son just you know they they like to make uh truck parts so they make bumpers and they make you know the beds on their trucks and things like that and it's uh it's just really neat and i can see that you know if my input there was basically just saying here are the safety practices for a welder let's watch this video on youtube uh these are the safety practices for the grinder let's mm. you know don't burn anything down uh, <laughs> you know just the basic guidelines um, but have at it. Go to town. Enjoy. Be careful, but enjoy yourselves. And yeah. and they sure did. And they, <laughs> it's really neat. It's it's just it's a very edifying thing to watch. Yeah, I think about to kind of like the joy in that story. It's compared to the drudgery that a lot of people feel in their jobs. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of friends that I have really think about work as something that's post-lapsarian something yep. that came as a result of the falls a result of sin yep. um, they think about the fact that the garden was full of fruit trees the the edenic garden was full of fruit trees but we kind of overlook the command of god to adam that we are to to keep in the till yep. um in that same and but the keeping and tilling is more like the welding and yeah building four-wheelers yeah exactly and, i mean it's uh, a it's a creative and joyful act i mean it's um it's written in our very nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, you know, before the fall, God, he didn't let it rain until man was in place, mm -hmm. you know, because there wasn't anybody there to till it. And yeah. so it's, you know, obviously pre-lapsarian. Um, you know, for me, I don't do a lot. My wife has big gardens and, you know, we have a little farm thing going. And, uh, but I love to till the garden. That's one of those things really? that, yeah. It's okay. just, uh, wow. And every year, for the last few years, the boys have been doing it. I've been kind of busy with other things, but um, I just love it. It's the best thing to get out there in the spring, turn the soil over. You can smell the rich soil, and mm. it just it feels so natural and hmm. so good. And it's so grounding. Literally, it's grounding. I mean, it's just it's beautiful. So uh, I don't do much with the gardens. I do a lot with, like, decorative gardens and stuff like that around the farm but i don't i don't do a lot with the vegetable gardens just because of time 
And yeah. But that's the one thing I really love to do. <laughs> so. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I had a till garden once. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy it. It was really bad soil. It was mainly rocks. Well, yeah, that's that's yeah. different. Yeah. That's, that's not really tilling. That's <laughs> but like, it's nice that's to... a battle <laughs> with the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's that's post-lapse area. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's thorns and thistles and sweat of your brow. <laughs> yeah, but then we'd have the uh, the Doherty's coming over and telling me, no, 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 you just don't know how to work with the thorns and the thistles, man. <laughs> yeah. And they would be right. The thorns yeah. are delicious if you know how to cook them. <laughs> <laughs> have you done that? No. <laughs> oh, you never know. With the Doherty's, they might do that. Um, yeah, I want to just kind of read a, just a few things just to make sure people know that we are just saying things, making our own tradition. John Paul II, of course, wrote uh, an entire encyclical, uh, Labor McSerson's, on, on the theology of work. And, so, and he starts that off by saying that man is made to be in the visible universe, an image of and likeness of God himself, and he is placed in it in order to subdue the earth. From the beginning, therefore, he is called to work. Work is one of the characteristics that distinguish man from the rest of creatures whose activity for sustaining their lives cannot be called work. Only man is capable of work, of work and only man works. It's Sorry, profound. pigeons. Yeah, exactly. You can't, yeah. I mean, that is kind of an amazing thing. Uh, also, of the union of the, the, the need for an intelligible or intelligent soul as well. Yeah. Like for work to actually yeah. be possible. I mean, otherwise, it's all by instincts. You know, I, I often joke around about how chickens are um, an animative vegetable because, <laughs> you know, it's sort of our, our joke that they just they're so incredibly stupid, <laughs> but they, and they'll eat anything, they'll peck at anything, but they kind of know what they want to get and they'll go around and nibble on the grass and stuff like that. But this I mean, the this, the the difference is that we have grace, we have reason, we have creativity um we have art mm. you know i mean there's so many things that elevate man and and all of those things are expressed in our work like even the most the work the the job with you know the absolute drudgery that many people experience um can be edifying it's difficult in many cases but it can be an edifying experience you, you don't have to be some of the most um, some of the most boring tasks that I have to do in my work, you know, drywalling, mudding a wall, or something like that, gives me an opportunity to think about better things or higher things, mm. and um, you know, changing the spark plugs on a tractor or something like that. I'm not thinking about the spark plugs, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. about other things. It's just um, it's uh, it's it's more of a mindset, you know, like being elevated as a man. Mm. And being able to work, um, it almost doesn't matter what you're doing. And I've done everything. I mean, I worked at a Domino's Pizza and a Chick-fil-A and <laughs> delivered papers and worked at a gas station overnight and all those things. And, of course, those jobs were lousy. I didn't mm -hmm. like it. Uh, it wasn't something I was excited and eager to go do. But it was something I did go eagerly to do mm -hmm. because it's what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I sure as heck wasn't thinking about, you know, putting cheese on the pizza. I was thinking about other <laughs> things that are higher, you know. Yeah. So I suppose I suppose part of the the time when you find that one's dignity is truly being maximized in work is when you're actually able to think. I mean, when when the <laughs> most contemplative thing you can do in that moment is thinking about what you're doing. 
mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't you yeah, say? Yeah, I would, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, I think and, part of the reason is that <clears throat> work really is a gift that you're giving others. Yes. Um, when, I mean, this is, so John Paul II talks about work. Why is it that work really enables us to be more like God? Because that's, you know, kind of how, how he starts us off. Like, mm-hmm. insofar as we are made in the image and likeness of God, so work thus makes us more into his image and into his likeness. We're leaning mm-hmm. into that. And and I, th- you know, and he, so kind of looking around, I was like, okay, so what, what virtue actually is yeah. the virtue that leads us to being more like God? Like, how is it that the work begins to, reshape reorient and rehabituate our souls to be or oriented towards him mm-hmm. you know um and john paul ii gives us a kind of a strange answer he says industriousness yeah you know it's really something it's a it's a because industriousness sounds very modern it's definitely not like it's, a medieval it's not something you'd expect in an encyclical by john paul ii as a virtue you know it's just kind of it doesn't seem like that's but it makes sense. Yeah, it it does. I, I, well, I, I mean, you know, I just kind of like banging my head against the wall for a little while, uh, trying to figure out like what does this actually correspond to? And and so first I was I was looking around at trying to figure out you know, what was the medieval, you know, virtue that corresponds to this. The reason why I was looking at medieval is because the medievals looked looked at and wrote about everything. So if I could figure out yeah. what they called it, then I knew they wrote about it, you know, and then I get some answers. And yep. uh, and I think the closest thing that I got to That's there, the little door to the rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you found the door, you yeah. can open it up and climb in. <laughs> Where's the knob? I'll turn it. Um, the austerity was the virtue yeah. that I found, you know, in, in St. Bonaventure, and where he talks about austerity being uh, a mental disposition so in, in, uh, a virtue of the intellect in which we are able to set aside all concupiscence to focus on the good to choose the hard mm-hmm. over the easy says yep. and uh and to prefer the poor and the vile it's really yeah that's that's not the way we think about things. <laughs> That's not very comfortable. <laughs> no, it's not at but all. But if you, could you relate yeah. that to the industriousness, the well, idea of industriousness? So I was struggling to do that. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think there's probably some ways in which, you know, I could make a guess on that. And then the second, so then I tried a, a different technique. Um, and that was looking for the opposing vices. Oh yeah, right. That yeah, you know, because every every virtue has an opposing vice. Um, for those of you who haven't heard this before, I'm gonna knock over a whole bunch of things right now. Uh, who haven't heard that before? The uh, though the dispositions of our soul are in a sense all connected with one another. You can't really separate the virtues out from one another all all that well. There are certain aspects that um, of our soul that become animated and activated in certain situations. And in those certain situations, you find the particular, what we call particular virtues uh, emerging out of them. But in those particular situations, you could have a sinful disposition that is, is uh, awakened. We call those vices. So what in certain contexts you could have vice awakened or or, or, 
or virtue awakened. And so those two dispositions of the soul, the vice or the virtue, oppose one another. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to understand what um, the opposing virtue is to a vice, um, or excuse me, to understand what the situation is and understand what the uh, the vices that opposes the virtue really, I think, helps illuminate what that yeah. virtue yeah. is. So in understanding that um, the magnificent man, when he's not, you know, changing the structure and culture of his town by his major gifts, he's being mean, um, mm -hmm. really, really illuminates just how great magnificence is. Right, um, right. And it's it's not, the tug of war. Yeah. And the tug of war, like the truth lies in the, in, it's kind of in the rope, in the tension between the two. Yeah. You know, that there's, you know, uh, where we ought to go with that virtue is kind of defined in a sense by the, the vice and the virtue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's well put. Never thought about that before. I'm not going to think about it too much now because... I'll bore people, but that's I mean, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I think that is, and that's just where you need grace to help you win, win the tension. You yep. know, win over the tension. Um, so, anyways, I looked at the, the kind of around, and I and I mean, I, it should have been kind of obvious, but sloth is yeah, the, you know, absolutely. I think it has to be a, the opposing vice. Um, would you say that to industriousness? Yeah, I yeah, think so, to into um, austerity, austerity. In, in a certain regard. And, and so let me just read out what St. Thomas says on sloth and or sleuth. Sloth. And, uh, we'll come <laughs> discuss say sloth, I say sloth. <laughs> <laughs> Hand me that potato. <laughs> sloth, according to the Damascene, St. Thomas says, is an oppressive sorrow which so weighs upon man's mind that he wants to do nothing. And thus, acid things are also cold. That's a really interesting yeah. metaphor that he uses. Um, hence, sloth implies a certain wariness of work. As appears on the gloss of, of Psalm 106, their soul abhorred all manner of meat. And from the definition of some who say that sloth is a sluggishness of the mind, which neglects to begin good. Wow. It's no. kind of brutal. Yeah, it's super brutal. But I think that makes sense. It does. This helps make sense of a few different things. First is that he considers this a sluggishness of the mind. Yep. And which for, you know, fits with the austerity, the understanding Absolutely. of Bonaventure's austerity, where it's a virtue of the intellect. Yep. Um, but it also, I think more than anything, if it, it if it neglects to begin good, then it is a, a vice that is fundamentally... Um, hateful. Absolutely. So this is why St. Thomas places sloth and, you know, his, his treatment of charity, um, where it is something that starts to be corrosive, almost acidic mm -hmm. uh, to the community at large. And whereas within work, I mean, all, all of our work, almost all of our work is, is at least to be, if not actually um, for the common good. Yes. You know, we, we, yes. we, you know, have wages and money. Um, we have personal benefits from it, know. but generally it's, yeah. generally it's for the common good. Well, even it's kind of a technique. I think money is yep. kind of like a technique where it makes our work self-referential. Yep. You know, yep. and insofar as I'm going to make, you know, this new stool for you, Mike, you know, and that is in fact a gift that I made for you. Yeah. Money makes it self-referential. No, you know, I'm not trying to say that that's bad or we shouldn't do that. But it, yeah. but it, um, 
I think it Here's it this gift, but it's going to cost you 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You, you know, know, so that changes it. It actually does. It it, it yeah. changes it. it um, but I, I think there's another part of this that um, that the productivity of work is, you know, it's a participation in creation in a way. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like the secondary causes of creation coming to its fulfillment. Yeah. You know, and I think that sloth or sloth, <laughs> uh, it undermines that because it's selfish. Yeah. And and um, there's a generosity that comes with work. There's a teamwork, yeah. a collaborative teamwork. There's there's a communal aspect to it. It's um, even if we're working alone, there's something communal about what we're doing. And How so? I just I think that it's it's benefiting the common good. Yeah. So others around us are benefiting from our industriousness, mm -hmm. you know, and the more we put into our work, the more it, it redounds to God's glory and the benefit of others. Yeah. I, th I think this, yeah, this might be the key because in work is, um, an external act, you know, he, St. John yeah. Paul II in Labor McSerson says that it's always a transitive act, meaning that it's always acting on an object yeah. our work is so, so it's fundamentally um externalizing um it it does in fact alter the common good yeah you know, that is so not to say necessarily that it's tied to the temporal order either yeah. like the carmelite nun is working hard praying for the salvation of others yeah that's work too totally but yeah. it doesn't have a, a visible tangible yeah. sense it's a spiritual tangible sense yeah you know I think this is so interesting I've, i tried to make a distinction between um productive labor and productive leisure in my yeah. thinking before yeah. i'm not sure if this actually works i gotta have to think about it a little bit more but i'm gonna you know hear me think out loud here everybody um i in certain regards there's a distinction between a productive labor activity where you know i'm i'm making a, a workbench so that others can work on the bench or whatever um, and then there's a sense of a productive leisure where there is no identifiable difference mm -hmm. within our um, human ability to comprehend causes and effects. Yeah. Um, and so I tried to, in a sense, like make this comparison to um, preaching and teaching or something like right. that before. Yeah. But the laborer is, is, is owed his dues, St. Paul says, and then he specifically names preaching and teaching. So it can't yeah. quite be that. Right. So that the... actually is a job. Yeah. <laughs> even though it's, it's something that takes place within the context of leisure. Yeah. But that, there's another aspect to that, and that is the student mm -hmm. is really the one benefiting in, in the leisure of that activity. You know, the, yeah. I think that the teacher... But I exactly. think prayer is, is really important because I think we would a lot of us would say, well, that is just, you know, pure leisure activity. And I think that just unveils our lack of belief of the efficacy of prayer. Yeah. So we we just don't actually. Yeah, because how do you anything. how do you explain the Carmelite nun, the the yeah. contemplative nun somewhere that's just rocking the world with her prayers? Totally. You know? How do you explain that the the efficacy of that has to be acknowledged? Yeah. You know. There's a story that I don't know all that well, so I shouldn't tell, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Go for it, about, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Charlemagne would be scandalized when he learned how little a bishop would leave for the monks after he died. 
to pray for his soul because he realized that that bishop did not actually believe wow. in the truth of the gospel. Um, I think there, there's there's more to this. I'll, we'll leave it to like a real historian like Andrew Jones to to tell that out. But um, but I think that is you know something that we have to catch ourselves on. Yeah. You know, I, I often find myself thinking that well, I should be working now or or you know instead of praying and realize and and saying well wait a minute i'm actually just dude you're you're working yeah i just totally (laughs) like thought that work the prayer doesn't do anything so i think there's there's an important aspect there and i but you know that's not to say that there's not work that's not earth or (laughs) there's not the problem that we find in modern societies where people are actually engaged in leisure activities that are not truly work that's right. Yeah. You know, like Chesterton yeah. talks about, you know, the, the, I mean, this is kind of mean, but he talks about the, um, the, the man who dresses up in a business suit and walks into the middle of town to pretend to work all day. Yeah. You know, yeah. meanwhile, his He's wife playing is office, all, his yeah. wife is working really hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, he says oftentimes their wives go to the park and don't even pretend to, to work all day. Oh yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's perfect. Uh, that's in so what's wrong there's another, with the world. Yeah. <laughs> there's another point about this idea. Um, I guess it just bears um, by illustration you know, the, there would be a vice involved if a man were to go, say, to the Adoration Chapel mm-hmm. uh, when he should be going to work. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and then the other side yeah. of that would be, like, why can't a guy who's at work be praying all day? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the, the constant conversation could be going on between the guy and God while he's flipping burgers or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But um, pray unceasingly. Pray unceasingly. Right? But um, that doesn't mean you need to go and sit in the church at the expense yeah. of the, you know, the livelihood of yourself or your family or, yeah. you know. No, it sur- also surrenders, it, it's, you know, an idea that work is not a form of prayer, of communion with, with God or mm-hmm. cannot be. Um, but I wanted to jump back on to this idea of the externalization of like the, or not, I guess we're still in that conversation of, of work being a transitive act. And I think this is just a really important, important point for the popes john paul ii spends an incredible amount of time on it both in the labor exertions as well as centesimus on us in which he says that this is the key by which we're to understand what private property really is oh yeah. yeah because if if we are starting with the basis of the universal destination of goods where god in his infinite goodness created the world and gifted it to all of us and not just some of us, mm-hmm. then we're left asking the question, well, how does productive property, you know, play a role into this at all? So John Paul II says here, well, first he, he defines this universal destination. Um, he says that God gave the earth to the whole human race for the sustenance of all its members without excluding or favoring anyone. Exactly. So it's like, well, how do we, how do we, how do we go from there? And he says, the earth does not yield its fruits without a particular human response to God's gift. That is to say, without work, it is through work that man using his intelligence and exercising his freedom, which, you know, shows why Mm -hmm. animals can't work. Um, Using his intelligence and exercising his freedom succeeds in dominating the earth and making it a fitting home. In this way, he makes part of the earth his own, precisely the part which he has acquired through work. 
This is the origins of individual property, he says. And obviously, continues, he also has the responsibility not to hinder others from having their own part of God's gift. Indeed, he must cooperate with others so that together all can dominate the earth. Because <laughs> it's a I command that God gave us to all of yeah, us. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, by our work, we're participating, but we're also <laughs> benefiting. Mm-hmm. We get a tangible chunk of it all. You know, it's like that's our little piece that we get for the in, in response to um, our diligence and our hard work and our virtue. Yeah. And it makes it, but it also is just, I think it just blows up the whole discussion that we have in the kind of modern free market circles where mm-hmm. it's, well, Ownership is just a juridical thing. Right. It's whoever signs right. on the dotted line yep. on the one hand or on the other. The deed says this and therefore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then on the other side, it could just be like a practical thing. People say, well, it's just like pragmatically the mm-hmm. best way to divide um, goods of this earth so that we right. can all have things. Some it, people wouldn't really know what to do with land, right? <laughs> that's, that's you know, the lamest <laughs> argument I've ever heard. Yeah. Wow. They... Actually, you need to teach them how to to use the land if they don't know how to use the land. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, like the the call is universal to for yeah. all of us to subdue and dominate the earth, and yeah. and so we have to enable one another to do that. Yep. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I think that's just a huge thing. We just we we are all called to help one another get the goods of the earth. But anyways, he he says this. You know, it's not so much. Uh, a juridical thing and it's not so much a prudential thing it's actually properly a metaphysical thing hmm. in the same way that god creates the world and in so doing externalizes his own internal nature and thus it has its you know all of creation has this 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 aspect of the divine um, mm-hmm. illumined in it um so when we work we do externalize a part of our internal nature impressing ourselves right. onto the tang, the the object of our work, and thus giving it our likeness. Right. And so, in a in a sense, it bears two likenesses all of a sudden. Yep. And that is the beautiful m- marriage between the world and and ourselves, and also why then it can be a proper whatever we make can be a proper gift to another because it captures yep. a part of ourselves within it. Yep. And it's a beautiful way. That's the beautiful way that we participate in creation. Yeah. You know, we are, we're fulfilling our nature and the nature of the universe in, in uh, improving things with our labor. Yeah. There, you know, this is, this is improving things is like a really interesting thing. I, I want to get your take on this. So within, within our call to work, which is, you know, a prelapsarian call by which we become more like God. Um, there's no doubt that there are certain like implicit powers of our souls that are awakened in it. Yeah. You know, so like, this is, I think part of the reason why we find austerity, industriousness as true virtues, virtues, meaning dispositions of souls that make us more like unto the one true God yep. is that our potentials are activated yep you know absolutely i've never really worked before so tell me how what that's like <laughs> i don't really know I, I just sit in front of a computer these days <laughs> so, uh, really i think what you need to do is explore the relationship of um uh, 
you know, how, what does it mean to be a steward of the land and to dominate or to, to have dominion over, mm-hmm. not to dominate, but to have dominion over? Yeah. Um, what does it mean to, um, to help things bear fruit? Really, that's what tilling is. Mm-hmm. You're helping things bear fruit. And um, I think some good examples would be, um, you know, in any business, you can come in and you can make things better. Maybe not any business, but in most businesses, you can come in and you can make things better that benefit, uh, that not only make the product better, mm-hmm. they make the employees happier mm-hmm. and make it a better, more edifying experience for them. Um just the interactions within the thing, the culture of the of the business or whatever the work is that's that's being accomplished, and all of that, um, each of those inputs has something to do with stewardship, and with um, and with a culture of uh, really understanding that we're participating in God's work, yeah. and um, that should permeate all that we do, and in most workplaces. Don't mirror that in any way. I mean, for most people, there's a drudgery about work and there's a lack of creativity. And um, most people just get through the work day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the statistics, but there was a there was a poll I read that um, I don't remember the, the percentage, but a great number of people, the majority of people just check the box every day. They just get through the day. Mm. And that's stifling. And that and it undermines the beauty of creation. In so on so many layers and in so many ways. Yeah, you know, I wonder if that's like part of the, I mean, or I suppose no doubt it's part of the, you know, hopeful looking ahead of retirement for so many people. Yeah. Because work yeah. is considered to be kind of a result of the fall. It's drudgery. Right. It's annoying. It's not freedom. Thorns and thistles and yeah. sweat on my brow. Yep. It's captivity. Yep. And so I just want to release from that. Yeah. And that I'm going to go to really Florida good... and I'm going to buy a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Never owned a boat before, but I tell you what. <laughs> no, really, that I think there's something to that. Like, um, we're always growing. We're always learning. And we should always be working. Yeah. You know, like, work doesn't stop when you don't have a nine-to-five job. Yeah. Your work should be should be transformed into something that benefits the society in a different, in all of society in a different way. Yeah. You know? No, but that is kind of a, a scary thought, actually. If, if we've created an environment in, work, in which work is so dehumanizing, absolutely, that people start to think that work is itself dehumanizing, then we've actually missed what the Pope says. Absolutely, is a fundamental way in which we become more human. Absolutely. So we're we're dehumanizing people with our current culture of work. That's just that's actually pretty scary because if 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 work is attached to our humanity where we become more human as, as John Paul II says, um, and it is like a context in a necessary context by which we get virtue, like of course it's necessary. Like we have to till to be able to eat. Mm-hmm. We need to you know cut wood in order to have houses that we can live in. Yep. We have to like shear the sheep to have clothes, yep. cover our nakedness. Uh, so it's, it's a necessary condition, but it's a necessary, you know, it's it's necessary for the sake that we might engage in it so that we might become virtuous. I mean, God does this for everything in our life, right? Right. right. You know, he, he, he sets the conditions so that we might be able to act in virtue. But if we have 
place the objective meaning of work over the subjective meaning of work, meaning we've put products before people. Right. And think that the economy is a good in of itself, sui generis, but not rather than something that is just something for man to be able to have his dignity met and increased, augmented, then then we've absolutely subverted the natural order of and we and we cut off our path to heaven. I think especially in our culture that is the case. Yeah. I think uh, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but <laughs> but really if you look at uh our social programs are constructed in such a way as to eliminate the need for work. Mm. Um, the typical work workplace is a, you know, it's eight to five or eight to six every day. And it's, uh, you know, you're going to just, you're a cog in the machine. And uh, I think that, you know, there are a lot of companies and organizations that do a lot to overcome that and create opportunities for people to be more creative and to be more self-directed and, yeah. you know, really to be productive. Um, but by and large, I think we have a societal problem in that regard, that it's it's really dehumanizing. Um, companies are, you know, th there's just between usury and, you know, captivity. Yeah. It's really a problem. And I think the big thing to get around that would be creativity and, um, and also understanding for the for the worker that um, even in that situation, there can be an edifying opportunity as long as your disposition of soul is such that, you know, you can get through the workday, but you're praying and you're thinking about higher things and mm. you're, you know, working toward goals of finding other jobs that are better or, you know, it's a lot of people can be trapped and it can be really very difficult. Uh, but there can be hope in those situations too. Yeah, I want to talk about some of that hope. I just wanted to read this from John Paul II too. He says, I mean, he's he's not a Luddite. I don't think. Maybe he was. I never asked. <laughs> but he, he but he he was very hesitant about this idea of continual growth, which did render people in these positions where their jobs are more like what you just described. Mm -hmm. He said, um, in some instances, technology can cease to be man's ally and almost become his enemy, as when the mechanization of work supplants him, taking away all personal satisfaction and the incentive to creativity and responsibility, mm -hmm. when it deprives many workers of their previous employment, or when, through exalting the machine, it reduces man to the status of a slave, someone who's yep. you know, just this is at the service of the slave, pressing buttons. Exactly start, what I'm talking you know? about. Yep. Yeah. And, and in this situation, the, uh, you know, I, th I th you know, I, I think the creative, this, why I'm so excited about the skilled trades and why, you know, my orientation was like, let's, let's start this workshop. Let's start, you know, and like people have heard me talk about, you know, a, a college that would be awesome to start one day, which like yeah. builds together the, the skilled trades and, and the Catholic liberal arts, um, is precisely because there's actually room there because our modern to to still be creative absolutely to yep. be able to provide for a family well absolutely uh, and it's precisely because our world despises the blue collar trades yep you know we absolutely often, <laughs> we often say that you know within as as we leave our christian society behind as we've become post-christian again in our culture 
we had no other choice but to readopt paganism. You only have virtue or vice. You only have Christianity or paganism. What's like, left? That's it, right? <laughs> and so you look at the ancient world, and you know Aristotle thought that manual labor was for slaves. Cicero loved the time on this farm, but could never imagine touching dirt. Yeah, you know there was dirt is gross. <laughs> has worms. Uh, I'm a man and not a worm. Yeah. <laughs> Psalm said, right? Um, and uh, you know, and and then. All of a sudden, we start to have that same, you know, orientation now yeah. is where like parents feel bad about sending their kids off to the skilled trades. They think blue collar work is, you know, dirty, nasty and gross. And meanwhile, John Paul II says that Christianity brought about a fundamental change of ideas in this field, talking about manual labor, mm-hmm. um, taking the whole content of the gospel message at its point of departure, especially the fact that the one who, while being God, became like us in all things, devoted most of the years of his life yeah. on earth to manual work and the and the and at the carpenter's bench. Yeah. The word became flesh and picked up a hammer. Exactly. You know? <laughs> How bad can that be? You know, and I know I think really the skill well, trades got crucified. I don't yeah, know. That's, <laughs> it, it actually could be really bad if you think about it. Um the skilled trades offer an opportunity for a person to work independently and think creatively and build things that are beautiful and good and serve a purpose. And it affords them, a sen- in a sense, um, a, a bit more freedom to because there's such a demand, like there's more freedom in the skilled trades than there would be in um, something where you'd be in a, in a corporate setting where you're going to just be a cog in the machine, you know, in the skilled trades, you're still in a sense in, in this capitalist system, you're still a cog in the machine. You're going to do job X, Y, and Z. um, But you have more autonomy, like how you do that job is up to you. And you know, can you I've, give us an example of that? Yeah. Um, so uh, we do a lot of work in commercial buildings. Yeah. And um, you know, one one job that we've done is uh, we've come in to repair work from other contractors, and <laughs> it's 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 really kind of funny. The the doors didn't close, and the floors were all over the place, and uh, the walls were all crooked, and I mean, just the place was a total mess. And we come in there and uh, we spend, you know, it was supposed to be a couple of weeks just fixing doors. And then it turned into a couple of months fixing everything. And then it turned into, you know, like six months of work. Jeez. And it was just, um, and, and so we're looking around and, you know, it's just a reminder for us just seeing this bad workmanship that um, it's really edifying to do great work. It's really fun. And it, it, and it's, uh, it's not just a matter of pride. It's also a matter of justice. You know, someone's paying me to do this thing. I better do it to the best of my ability. Yeah. You know, and I've, I'm very blessed. My, my crew in my business are just, they're just the best. They're special guys. They are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, philosophy and theology majors and yeah. they're just <laughs> awesome guys. And the, the lunchtime conversations are just the best. Um, and these guys all understand you know, they'll come into a job where somebody else has been working and see this kind of work and they just shake their heads and they just start tearing it out and fixing it, you know? <laughs> and another example of that would be um, 
my son is working on a, a mass masonry apprenticeship, building like solid brick houses. They're really neat. Uh, there's a cameraman on that job who's doing a documentary about this mass masonry uh, cool. architectural style. And um, he told me a story that, you know, he's filming all the boys and all the, all the apprentices doing their work. And he said uh, that Joe was working up on one of the, uh, on the upper floors and he started laying in a, a brick wall and he got about, you know, four or five feet down, down the run and a couple feet high with the, with the wall. And, and then just kind of looked at it got out a level, got out a string, checked the wall and it wasn't right. And so he didn't mm. say anything. He just tore it all out and started over and didn't make any fuss about it. He wasn't really angry about it or upset that he made a mistake. He just fixed it. It was, and it was just into, it was just what he did. And that's the way my, my guys are on the crew. It's like, you find something that's not right. You just fix it, just make it right, you know, and do the best that you can. And it's, uh, it's personally edifying. It's, it's a matter of justice. It's mm -hmm. like what we owe our customer. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just a great thing to be able to do because you're participating in something beautiful instead of something that you're just doing to check a box. A lot of people would say that's just that that is drudgery. I think that's why like blue collar trades oftentimes in the modern world just are looked down upon because you. I, I'm not sure you can fact check me on this one, but I think you know why is it that the pagans, you know, both modern and old, don't like that type of labor? And I think it's because you you are just your finitude is totally proven. Like if you're working with your mind for a living, like you can go off to every different. Yeah, but you never build anything. Yeah. <laughs> you never do anything. But tangible, don't you think that's the reason you know? why they like? That, I mean, it has to be a perverted thought. Absolutely. So know? that's the thing. Yeah. It's like evil perverts the good. Yeah. Right. So, um, I mean, I don't mean to say that somebody who's just in a thinking world doesn't do anything because we talked earlier about how the yeah. contemplative non accomplishes a great work. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, what I mean to say is that um, there are a lot of people who go to work and pretend that they're, they're playing office all day. Yeah. <laughs> really, they are. They're just playing office. And the, the beauty of the trades is that you can, you can literally build something and look at it right now. Yeah. And, and you can look at the fact that it's perfect or as close to perfect as things can be. Um, it's as, as well as you could have done the job. Yeah. You know, and that's edifying. And the guys, like our lunch breaks on the job are conversations about politics and theology and philosophy. And, and there's a collaborative element of work as well. So there's a spirit and a culture that goes into, you know, fine workmanship. And that spirit translates into the other parts of their lives. You know, yeah. it's, it's part of a whole. Like you don't find that exceptional craftsman um, in a vacuum. You don't mm -hmm. find that guy not caring about other parts of his life. Hmm. You know, if there's a guy who's gone to the point where they are an exceptional craftsman, they've also really refined other parts of their life. I've found general. I mean, I I don't know a lot of guys who are uh, in the bars all night and then go and do really beautiful work the next day. Hmm. You know, you know when Plato, you know, the, the, or rather Socrates, the guy that goes and pokes holes and everybody's arguments always demonstrating to them that they don't actually know anything. Yeah. He turns around and he says like, who is someone in society that actually knows something? 
He says it's a craftsman. Yep. Because they can just point and said, look, I knew how to do that. And yeah, I did it. I did it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see that thing over there. And so it yeah. makes sense that they would actually, you know, that the person who actually knows something would then be able to translate real knowledge into other areas. Yeah. You know, but there's also more metaphysical. There's you know, also a, con- a contemplative part to mm-hmm. this, to the trades, I think. Um, most of the guys I know, even, even in the very, you know, sort of secular environment, um, they all have headphones in. They're listening to books on tape. Um, they're listening to podcasts. They're growing and learning as yeah. they're working, pulling wires through a conduit all the way through a <laughs> 20,000 square foot warehouse. Um, they're listening to things that are helping them grow. Now, not all of them. Some of them, it's just heavy metal, you know, rocking out. <laughs> but uh, many of them are actually uh, developing their minds, and, and there's a there's a contemplative aspect to it, and there's a quiet that comes from the trades, even though mm-hmm. it's a very noisy environment. Liter- <laughs> literally, it's it's extremely noisy. Most of us have hearing damage. Um, what? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can't hear you. <laughs> um, the uh, there's a con- there's a contemplative element about being in the trades where you really can, if you like to think about things and explore ideas, it's a good place to just find a quiet space to, to work on something with your hands and think about something beautiful with your mind. Hmm. You know, that's what I've always found. I, I've always really enjoyed that part of it. Well, if you guys are in Steubenville, you should come over to our shop. Yeah, definitely come to the shop. It's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to figure out how technology will allow you to see pictures of this. But in the meantime, you can see, go to studentvilleworkshop.com. Like, you're going to teach some bull, you know, turning classes, I sure hope you? to, yeah. That's going to yeah. be awesome. I should have brought some bulls with me today. I thought about it, but I forgot to get them. <laughs> <laughs> Any pipes? Well, uh, I have pipes. I made a uh, a long Gandalf pipe once. It was it's really neat. Really? And I smoked it a lot, and then it and it kind of fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked it. It was really nice because you could uh, you could have a really hot, fiery bowl of tobacco down here, and it it, it had a long time for the smoke to cool down yeah. before it got to your mouth. So it was really an enjoyable. I highly recommend the Gandalf pipe. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should do for the new quality you know, conference the day before. That would be fun. They're kind of tricky. Um, the way I did it is I took a dowel and I drilled it out and then I steamed it and bent it oh, and then I shaved cool. it to, to the shape and then I fitted it to a regular bowl, like, you know, this, this lower part of the pipe. Um, oh, that's clever. It was just the only way I could figure out how to, I really wanted to make one. So that's just what I figured out how to do. And this was before I had, it was in my little garage and yeah. I used just a long drill bit and I mounted a drill to the table yeah (laughs) Yeah, it was a long drill bit and i mounted the drill to the table and i just kind of worked that thing through and tried to keep it centered it was it was interesting it it worked (laughs) i had a few failed attempts but it worked in the end (laughs) that is awesome wow well thanks so much for this conversation and yeah thank you um, i think yeah we'll kind of keep up i think work is just so important to get right you know if we don't have yeah work right then i think we're just going to kind of fail at trying to understand everything else absolutely this is a good start to a great conversation yep absolutely see you in the shop thank you (laughs) yeah all right thanks everybody thank you